0: Please be seated. Please be seated. Wow. That was a powerful, powerful, powerful song. Um, Just really thank the praise and worship team for what you guys have been doing. You guys are excellent. 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 Amen. Amen. Wow. It's like, how do you come after a song like that, you know? (laughs) Wow. Well, we have, um, we're basically continuing this uh, series on the I Am statements of Jesus. And um, when we began this journey in January, um, we discovered that Jesus is the uh, bread of life. And following that, we learned that he is also the light of the world. And then following that, we recognize that he is also the, uh, the way, the truth, and the life. And then after that, last week, we picked up by recognizing that he is the resurrection and the life. And today we're gonna continue on the statement, the I am statement in which Jesus says that I am the good shepherd, amen? Amen. So let's turn to John chapter 10, verses 11, and we're going to read to 18. John chapter 10, verses 11 to 18. Jesus says that I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, and I'm reading, I believe, from the NASB, if, um, just so that you can follow along by, uh, by the screen if possible. He says that in verse 12, he says that, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. In verse 13, it says, he flees because he is a hired hand and he is not concerned about the sheep. Verse 14 says that I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Verse 17 says, for this also the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative and I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. The very first phrase is I am. Now, when Jesus is making uh, the statement I am, he's not uh, making a personal uh, declaration about uh, a job that he is doing, like I am a carpenter, or I am a uh, uh, a physician, or I am a, a dentist, or so on, so on. What Jesus is basically stating is that he's identifying himself with God, and he's saying that I am, in a sense, I am Yahweh, and the phrase I am, or egoemi in the Greek is short for the Hebrew phrase, eye, asha, ehe which means I am that I am. The idea of God revealing himself as I am to Moses was simply to declare that he is the constant in the past, constant in the present, and he's constant in the future. He's unchanging. He is self-consistent. He is self-constant. He's self-sufficient. There is no lack in him. In his very being, he has no need of anything. Besides him, there is no God. He is uncreated, and he is, he just is. He is unexplainable and incomprehensible. He is the I am or the ayah, which is where we get Yahweh or Jehovah, which roughly means he is or he who is or he who causes to be. The very fact that Yahweh God reveals himself in humanity as Yeshua is the deepest, deepest mystery and mind-blowing in and of itself. See, anytime that Yeshua makes an I Am statement, he is connecting himself to the Father and also to Israel's redemptive history. When God was ready to redeem Israel from Egyptian bondage, he told Moses, tell them that I Am sent you. Amen? Amen. And now he is about to perform this ultimate act of redemption and wants to let them know that I am is on the scene and that this time he is coming himself in a very personable way. There's this uh, one show that I really like. It's called uh, Undercover Boss. Has anybody watched that show? I love that show. That, That show is deep. And, and uh, on this show, it, it, the premise of the show is that you have C, these CEOs and these uh, chief executives who, um, of these major corporations who would um, investigate the overall, the overall health of their company. And they would, reward, they would reward the hard work of their employees, so these uh, corporate execs would leave their corporate office and they would wear a disguise of basically a new employee and go through the process of being acclimated to their to, this, uh, to the everyday working environment of the companies that they own or run. So if you can kind of imagine with me, let's just say the CEO of McDonald's Corporation, right? And the CEO of McDonald's Corporation, he wants to know, how is McDonald's doing? Because... It's one thing to look at McDonald's from the sense of quarterly statements or profit and loss statements or balance sheets or or hearing annual reports. No, he wants to see what is going on with McDonald's in a very personable way. So the CEO of McDonald's Corporation decides that he wants to visit one of McDonald's franchises as a new employee. So let's just say he visits the McDonald's that is like right down the street and he comes to this McDonald's, let's just say on a Sunday, and he introduces himself as a new employee. He wears a disguise. Nobody at this McDonald's franchise knows who he really is. So he is, he's working at McDonald's, He's getting directions from the supervisor. He's buffing the tables. He's he's cleaning the floors. He's he's making sure that the fl- the fries are are cooked right. He's flipping the burgers. He's taking orders, and occasionally he gets yelled at by Walk Fan members who just left the Walk Fan because he's moving too slow. And in the midst of his busy day. He takes out the time to sit down with one of his employees, the one that's basically training him to find out their story. How did they end up working at McDonald's? How much did they like their job? How things can improve? What are their hopes and aspirations, and and what do they eventually want to see happen with their future at McDonald's? The CEO, he's listening, he's internalizing what he is being told, he's taking all this information in and quietly doing his assessments to eventually take back to his corporate office. And at the end of the show, the CEO reveals his true identity and he provides his assessment to the company and rewards them accordingly. See, much like the undercover boss, the CEO of the universe, whose name is Yahweh, visits his company called Israel. And he comes to his own people as a human being, wearing the clothes of a carpenter, with the reputation of a rather odd kind of rabbi, who goes by the name Yeshua, and he is inspecting Israel, and he declares the results of his assessments. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 36. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 36, and it says that Jesus was going through the city throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching them in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like a sheep without a shepherd. See, it's, God is not just a God who sits on the throne. He's not one of those dead gods. He's not like, uh, like Buddha or, 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 or Confucius or, or Baal or one of these idols that they just, you know, put and sit there and they worship from time to time. No, this is a very personal God. This is a very alive God and God has compassion. God weeps, God cares for his people. And so when he's seeing all this distress, not just from afar off in heaven, but in a very physical, tangible way, he cannot help himself but be overcome with compassion for his people. The CEO of the universe has compassion for all his people, and unlike the undercover boss, Yeshua is telling Israel exactly who he is by connecting his person to the message of hope that they have been waiting for all this time. He is the Messiah. He is proclaiming liberation to the people of Israel as well as pronouncing judgment to the leadership and the authorities of Israel that have been held in bondage by the leadership. See, in this passage of John chapter 10, verse 11, he identifies himself to the Jewish leaders and the elders as Yahweh the good shepherd. This statement follows the act of Yeshua, Jesus leading, uh, healing a blind man on the Sabbath. The leaders had already rejected the message of Yeshua, but not only did they reject his message, they were conspiring to permanently silence the Messiah but severely and severely punish anyone who believed that Yeshua is the Messiah by excommunication from the synagogue because believing that Yeshua is the Messiah is bad for business. And being kicked out of the synagogue in those days was a very serious punishment because if you can only imagine, unlike the churches today, the synagogue was basically like the lifeblood of the community. If you wanted to know what was going on, what was going on, you didn't didn't turn on your your TV and and turn on the CNN or you turn on the Fox News or whatever is your particular appetite for uh, consumption, but you would go to the synagogue. If you needed help, if you needed assistance, if you needed love, if you needed someone to care for you, the one place that you would go in that society was the synagogue. Your friends were at the synagogue your business um, contacts was, was at the synagogue. So the synagogue was everything. And so to get kicked out of the synagogue was very severe. So you would think That after Jesus heals this blind man, you would think that the Jewish leaders would rejoice that a man who has lived his life completely blinded and capable of seeing the beauty of all of God's creation and capable of seeing just what God is doing in a very visible and tangible way, you would have thought that they would have celebrated the fact that this man who was formerly blind is no longer requesting to receive Social Security disability check that they would have shouted for joy that now he is capable of being a productive member of society, that he's no longer wanting to be dependent on welfare. No, you would have thought that they would have celebrated this. No, but these Jewish leaders decided that their best approach to acknowledging God's grace upon this man that was previously blind is to now interrogate him as to how he was healed with the intent of punishing him. The Messiah says to the Pharisees who are being extremely confrontational that he is the good shepherd. The scripture presented many shepherds throughout the Bible. To be a shepherd had a a special significance to the people of Israel. It was a description that was consistent with the leadership. It also reminded Israel of their history and culture as a people. So if you would realize that there were many shepherds in the history of Israel, let's start from the beginning. The first shepherd that we've ever seen in the Bible goes by the name of Abel. The second shepherd, Abraham. Rachel was a shepherd. A woman was a shepherd. <laughs> oh, y'all got a clap, come on now. <laughs> a woman was a shepherd. Don't let no man tell you you can't do something. You know, a woman was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. I was talking to my wife about this. I was like, man, that might have been one of the things that really caught Jacob's attention to see that Rachel was also a shepherd, and him being a shepherd, they had a lot of things that they could talk about, you know? How are your sheep doing today? Oh, my sheep are doing fine. How is your sheep? You know? One of the greatest shepherds is Moses. He was actually the first shepherd who was seen as a leader of the people because he guided Israel out of the bondage of Egypt with a staff. How about David? David was a pretty good shepherd. What made David stand out as a shepherd is that he also realized in Psalm 23 that Yahweh is his shepherd. So he knew that his responsibility was contingent, consistent, and aligned with what God was doing among the people of Israel. Amen? And because David was a man after God's own heart, he became the bar for the type of the shepherd to come. So here... The Messiah calls himself the good shepherd, appealing to David's revelation of Yahweh, but calling himself the good shepherd, which was synonymous with the leadership, the adjective good drew a devastating contrast to the official leadership of Israel. If Yeshua is the good shepherd, what does that say about them? If Yeshua is the good shepherd, what does that say about the high priest? If Yeshua is the good shepherd, what does that say about the king? If Yeshua is the good shepherd, what does that say about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all those who held high positions in Israel that weren't good in in the original language, it actually was an indication not only of a moral position, not only of a moral stance, but competency. See, he is the competent shepherd. However, the people that were viewed as leadership on paper, the official leadership, were incompetent. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. And we're going to read from verse 1 all the way to 23. This is going to be a very long, long read, so get your coffee, drink of water, splash your face. But this is how deep this bad shepherding was, uh, was taking place in Israel. This is what God has to say. It says, and the word of the Lord, or the word of Yahweh, came to me saying, and it's interesting that this particular passage starts off with the word of the Lord, because the very first uh, beginning of John chapter one begins in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And and then in verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So you see the connection between John declaring that Jesus is the good shepherd or, uh, or highlighting the fact that Jesus says that I am the good shepherd and he is also the word. And here it is, the word of God, the word of the Lord is speaking to Ezekiel. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, verse two, Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, thus says Lord God or Yahweh Elohim to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Verse three, you eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter all the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. Verse four, the weak you have strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. Verse 5, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. Verse 6, my sheep wandered through through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Verse 7, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh as I live. In Verse 8 says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field and because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Verse 9, therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says the Lord God, because I am against the shepherds and I will require my flock at their hand, I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths and they may no longer be food for them. Verse 11. But thus says Yahweh Elohim, Lord God. Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. Verse 13 and I will bring them out from the peoples, and gather them from the countries, and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valley, and all the inhabited places of the country. Verse 14, I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in good fold, and feed in rich pasture on the high mountains of Israel. Sounds very similar to Psalm 23, there they shall lie down in good fold and feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. Verse 15, I will feed my flock and I will make them to lie down, says Yahweh Elohim. Verse 16, I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. I'm going to stop right there. So Yahweh is bringing to the attention of Ezekiel the prophet his frustrations and his anger with Israel's destructive leadership. Administration after administration, the leadership in Israel has done nothing but harm the people of Israel, in which they one failed to feed the sheep by providing proper spiritual oversight, two they overlooked the needs of the sick. Three, they refused to ensure the safety of the people. Four, they refused to seek the lost sheep and provide restoration. And when you look at each one of these issues that is highlighted, you can find an exact parallel between the institutional decays in Israel to almost every nation on the face of this planet, including the United States of America. From George Washington all the way to our current president, administration after administration have failed us. They have lacked moral accountability. They have lacked to lead according to proper ethics. They've lacked to look out for the needs of the people. They have lacked to provide the right spiritual oversight. They have lacked to provide restoration for America. Some of it had nothing to do with where they were morally on the inside, but how they pretty much ruled from an ethical standpoint. Some of it had to do with the simple fact that they were just incompetent. Israel is highlighted because God established his covenant with Israel. And he he established his covenant with Israel by the means of the law. The law in and of itself was embedded with the answers to uh, address the spiritual and social economic concerns of Israel. The law covered the issues of poverty. It covered the issues of national safety and security. And it ensured that everyone would be treated equally and fairly because Yahweh is a God of justice. DACA and other issues of immigration would have been covered under the law. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> The law also had a day prescribed by which people could enjoy God on a weekly basis, no matter your occupation, no matter the color of your skin, no matter your gender, no matter your education level, no matter how much money you made, the law ensured that on a particular day each week, you can enjoy God and each other. You can spiritually be refreshed and restored in anticipation for the final rest with God. If the law was followed perfectly, then you would have a nation that would have been the model for the entire world to see. Nation after nation could look at Israel and say, hey, see the glory of God manifested in that place. They would come to Israel seeking answers for how to solve their problems. Israel would have been the light to the Gentiles or simply the light to the world. On um, last month, actually, uh, Brother Daniel, uh, he gave many of us an opportunity to hop on the plane and go to this nation called Wakanda. Oh, it was a beautiful place. Did anybody go see Wakanda? Okay, I see some people ain't, ain't watched Black Panther. It's okay, it's okay. At the end of service, we'll be praying for you. <laughs> Redemption is drawing nigh. <laughs> but if you have seen Wakanda, the one thing that was stood out in this movie is that Wakanda was an exceptional nation. I mean, they were advanced in technology, they were advanced in health, they were advanced in, in leadership. They had so many different advancements that, in a sense, the world would have needed to look to. Wakanda as an example for how they would pretty much govern their society. It was a beautiful place. I mean, regardless of where you came from, regardless of what neighborhood you was born in, you wanted to go and live in Wakanda. I wanted to pack up my bags and move to Wakanda. (laughs) The day the movie came out, I had my African attire on at work. And, uh... (laughs) And uh, my co-workers were asking me, they was like, "Uh, why are you so dressed up? I said, well, I'm leaving this country. (laughs) They said, where are you going? I said, Wakanda. Said, how long are you gonna be gone? I said, I'll be back tomorrow. (laughs) And and one lady, she was really confused. She was like, why are you just gone for a day? I said, I don't need to be gone that long. (laughs) But I came back. Oh, man, but that was a day to be African, wasn't it? (laughs) So, so Wakanda definitely poses an example for all the nations, at least in a mythical sense, all the nations of the world to want to aspire to. Well... That was what God, what God actually intended for the nation of Israel. He intended Israel to be this nation that all the nations would aspire to. If he can get it right with Israel, if Israel, if Israel could get it right, then all the nations would want to know who he is. All the nations would want to know, what God do you serve? Well, we all know the story. The people of Israel rejected God as their king and wanted to be like the other nations. So rather than being an example, they looked to all the other nations as examples. And therefore God answered them by giving them rulers who had moral challenges and and personal agendas and were grossly ill-equipped to handle the job. These leaders took more from the people while improving their economic outlook. So God in Ezekiel 34 is fed up with this. There is a perfect law, but imperfect people who were charged with enforcing the law. So in Ezekiel 34, verse 20 to 23, it reads, and we're going to begin from verse 20. So Ezekiel 34, verse 20, it reads, Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep, because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns and scattered them abroad. Verse 22, therefore I will save my flock and they shall no longer be prey and I will judge between the sheep and sheep and I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Yeshua is this servant, David. Multiple times in the gospel, Yeshua is addressed as the son of David. It is a messianic title because Jews knew that according to the prophecies that the Messiah would be a descendant of the house of David and also be the rightful king of Israel. This is kind of what was disturbing to King Herod when, when it was announced to him that the Messiah was born because he knew that his time was up. This brings us back to John chapter 10. Yeshua has just finished healing the blind man and the Pharisees are upset as always and now he is calling them out. He is identifying them for what they truly are. He is letting them know that though they, th- they may think they are righteous, they are really crooks feeding off of the people. They have, no, they have not properly interpreted the law and have even used the law for their own personal gain because their family members are above the law and therefore could care less about things like mass incarceration and wrong imprisonment. They have neglected the sick by not addressing their health care concerns because they got good health care coverage. This blind man had a pre existing condition, and rather than rejoice in his healing, they sought to condemn him. They were unfaithful to the people. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. And since you can't get it right, and since you have no desire to get it right, I, the good shepherd, have come to replace you. Not only will I replace you, not only will I unseat you from your position of authority, not only will I remove you from the seat of Moses, not only will I remove you from the palaces that you inhabit, not only will I remove you from the temple, I'm going to show you why I am the good shepherd. And he is the good shepherd, one, because he is willing to die for his sheep. Two, he is driven by the father's love and has the father's authority. Three, his name is on the line. So let's talk about part one. He's willing to die for his sheep. At the very heart of the gospel is the realization that we have a God, the CEO of the universe, exchanging his entitlement to glory and taking on humanity with the willingness to be tormented by an unjust system, accept an unjust sentence based on an unjust accusation and be lynched by the Roman state. God did not send a, another prophet to do the job. He did not send another messenger to do, a messenger to do the job. He did not send one of, his, uh, one of the Jewish people to do the job. No, this one he took personally. This one required his son, the true shepherd, to do the job. And this shepherd would not flinch or retreat at the sight of death. He embraced it willingly. He says that I am the good shepherd, verse 11, and that the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. The hireling's care for the sheep is contingent on the benefit of the job. In other words, it is conditional. The difference between the good shepherd and the hired hand was simply the difference between the owner of a company and the employee. See, he's willing, he's willing to make the extra sacrifice. An owner is concerned about the company's existence and longevity. See, the employee, on the other hand, is there as long as the check is good. <laughs> when the going gets tough, They get going, out the door. (laughs) I remember, I I ran a company. Oh boy, there was months while running this business in which I didn't receive a check. Did my employees care? Absolutely not. We're facing financial hardship, and my employee comes to me and says, can I get a raise? I'm trying to figure out how I can keep my lights on at home, but they want to know how they can get a raise. The frustration you had to see on my face when I looked at my employee, I'm not going to mention her name, her real name, we'll just go by Stephanie. (laughs) And and Stephanie just didn't quite get it. She just didn't quite understand. I'm broke. How you asking for a raise? Because I was the owner of the business, Stephanie was the employee. When things get rough, Stephanie is going to make her exit. Matter of fact, even while working at the job, Stephanie was looking for other jobs. It's <laughs> just the way it is. But the hireling, so the hireling doesn't care, but Yeshua, who is the good shepherd, who owns the sheep, he's very concerned. Death comes, he's not fleeing death. He's ready to take death on, amen? So likewise, God's love for you is not based on what you have done for him, or what you are willing to do for him, it is based on his ownership of you. The question I have to ask is, are you his? Will you be willing to submit to his ownership? The second part, he is driven by the father's love and authority. Verse 14 continues by saying that I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Verse 15, even as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Verse 18, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, the commandment I received from my Father. The good shepherd is under divine obligation. The father loves you and therefore he has empowered his son to demonstrate that love towards you. The son is obedient to the father. No other prophet, no other priest, no other mediator, no other human, et cetera, will be willing to pay the full penalty that love demands because they do not know the outcome. Also, they are not qualified. They cannot predict the outcome, so it's not so much about what is being given as much as who it is giving it to you. We have a cheerful giver on our side. One rap song would say that we know the most generous blood donor, the one that can put the Red Cross out of business. That's the kind of God that we serve. The Greek word for authority indicates that he has the legal right the moral right, and the power to lay down his life and pick it back up. He is not only under divine obligation, but he is the only one who was qualified to redeem you because he is the word. Athanasius, um, the, an early church father who happened to be African that also defended the Trinity at the, or actually the Trinity and the divinity of Jesus at the Council of Nicaea, he said this. He said that for being the word of the Father, and above all, he alone of natural fitness was both able to create, recreate everything and worthy to suffer on behalf of all and be an ambassador for all with the Father. In other words, because God created the world through him, The recreation, the regeneration, the salvation, the justification would also have to be done through the word. He's the only one qualified to do it. And this one, and this was my last one, my last point. His name is on the line. In Psalm 23, Verses one through three, we see that we see this. We see David, the psalmist, the the king of Israel, poetically declare that Yahweh is his shepherd, and David correlates the care of a shepherd to his sheep as the context of the relationship between God and himself, and he declares. that that the God of Israel feeds him, the God of Israel provides for restoration, the God of Israel leads him on the path to righteousness or right living and a place of refreshing. And at the very end of verse three, he says this, he says that it's for his name's sake. In other words, his reputation as David's shepherd is on the line. How many of you know that when your reputation is on the line, you will work tirelessly day and night to maintain that reputation? If you hear that your name is about to be tarnished because of something that you may have done accidentally or not accidentally, you will fight hard to make sure that your your reputation stays intact. Proverbs 22 verse 1 states, A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Having a good name is everything. Having a good name is better than having an American Express card or a visa. Having a good name is more than uh, having a billion dollars in your bank account because your name outlives all of the things that you own and have. When Moses was interceding for Israel, when they rebelled against God, he said this, and this is in Deuteronomy chapter nine, verse 27 to 28. He says, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look at the stubbornness of this people or at their wickedness or their sin. Otherwise, the land from which you brought us may say, because Yahweh was not able to bring them into the land which, they had prom- which he had promised them, and because he hated them, he had brought them out to slay them in the wilderness. In other words, God, I know these people messed up. I know they messed up really bad. I know that they desire that they actually are due every form of punishment that you can inflict on them. I get it. I know they they followed after false gods. I know that they are are guilty of not placing their faith and their trust in you. However, for the sake of your name, do not destroy them. You are their shepherd. I, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a con man. I know that I'm an adulterer. I know that I'm a liar. I know that I'm a thief. I know that I'm a murderer. I know that I'm a homosexual offender. I know that I'm a fornicator. I know that I'm a deceiver. I know that I'm a false witness. I know that I'm a drug abuser. I know that I'm a prostitute. I know that I'm a crook. A double-minded man. I know you have every right to destroy me, but for the sake of your name, deliver me. You said it in your word in John, in Joel chapter 2, verse 32, he says that whosoever shall call upon the name of Yahweh will be saved. And we know that the name Yeshua means Yahweh is salvation. The one thing that God places above all things is his name. God adheres to his name. God responds to his name. When his name is made manifest, his glory appears. If you want to get God's attention, mention his name. The reason why we pray is in his name. The reason why we put our businesses in his name is because we know that if we call on his name, we got his attention. So for if you are ready to call upon the name of God right now, if you are ready to declare right now that God, that Yahweh is your Savior, please rise and stand to your feet because we are about to call on his name. Amen. We're going to call on his name for those who are sick. We're going to call on his name for those who need restoration. We're going to call upon his name for those who have businesses that are struggling. We're going to call on his name for those who need salvation. We're going to call on his name for those who are going through trials and tribulations. We're going to call on his name because God responds to his name. Amen. Amen. Let's call on his name. Father God, we just thank you right now. We just glorify you. We praise you, Father God. We honor you. We call upon your name. Yahweh, you are such a great God. You're such an awesome God. You are such a good shepherd. We call upon your name. We call upon your name for everyone who is going through challenges right now. We call upon your name for everyone who is facing one sickness right now, facing one trial right now, facing one type of problem or another problem right now. We call upon your name because we know that you answer your name. We know that you adhere to your name. We know that the one thing that gets your attention Is your name. We glorify you because of your name. We honor you because of your name. We lift you up because of your name. We thank you, Father God. We thank you, Father God. For those who are struggling, Father God, we call on your name. For those who are facing trials and tribulations, we call on your name. For those who are in need of healing, we call on your name. For those who are dependent upon you right now, we call upon your name because your name is the only name that can save. Your name is the only name that can deliver. Your name is the only name that can bring healing. Your name is the only name that is obligated, that has your obligation. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you because you have made your name known to us. Thank you because you have made your name manifest to us. Thank you, Father God, because of your name. And in that vein, if there is anyone who is in need of salvation, in need of knowing God in a very personable way, that you have yet to declare that God is your shepherd, just lift up your hands. Lift up your hands. Anyone. You need to know that God is your shepherd. Do we have anyone? Hallelujah, hallelujah. As we continue in worship, we are also going to pray for those who are lawyers. So this is a release call for those who are lawyers. Any lawyers in the